Hey guys, today we're going to hear about what lessons we can learn to help win the case for accessibility within our organizations and what tactics we can employ to make sure that any changes are long lasting. Let's hear from the panel of experts on this important issue. Uh, my name is Christopher Lee and I will be chairing this session um, on accessibility leadership. And boy, do we have some leaders on stage today. Ta-da. <laughs> um, you know, truly this is kind of full circle if you think about it from this morning when Caroline Casey came up on stage and she talked about this top-down executive approach, you know, about getting the boards to buy in the, the, the 500 level, you know, the five, valuable 500. And here we have on stage individuals that, that really uh, have their feet on the ground. They know what that's like. And we have an amazing opportunity to kind of get into their heads a little bit. Now, I have to tell you that my background academically is psychology. So if I start acting weird questions, just pull back on me. <laughs> um, but so this is a good time for us to really explore. Um, now, we're going to start off with a, a video. Um, Jane Lee Flaherty from Microsoft couldn't be here. And um, so we definitely want to bring that in in just a moment. But after this video, I'll be um, you know, posing some questions to the group about um, their thoughts about leadership and accessibility. Um, we'll do introductions, but this time I'm going to throw a couple other questions because I know a couple of you have been on stage earlier today. Um, and then we'll open it up for the group. How does that sound to everyone? Good? All right. Uh, let's open it up with um, Jenny's um, video. Hi there, folks. I'm Jenny Leigh Flurry, Chief Accessibility Officer at Microsoft. And I'm really sorry that I'm not there in my hometown. Um, I will be thinking of you this week, but I was asked to pop a few thoughts on video and specifically some thoughts about how to build on really our learnings of how to build an ecosystem that is inclusive of accessibility in a company and framework like ours. Um, And I'd say we're on a journey with it first. I would say we're nowhere near uh, a goal or a destination. In fact, I think um, if you ever feel like you've achieved your destination, I would say aim higher. We have been in this gig a long time, Uh, since the 90s. We've had a gorgeous path of brilliance and not in that time. I came in 2005, and my learning really stems from some of the journey that I've had. Uh, Firstly, coming in as a person with a disability, severely profoundly deaf, but really not visibly so. My accent is gorgeous, or slightly confused at this time. and I didn't really self-ID. I told people I had hearing loss, not that I couldn't hear speech. Um, and uh, that created problems in the beginning, but it's also reflective of a lot of what we see with disability. And I think one of the key things that we really, really believe and we, we're working hard on is to see disability differently. It is a strength. Um, it is an expertise. It is a talent. It is something that we absolutely want to need at Microsoft and we're vehemently about that. So how you nurture your group uh, of people with disabilities is incredibly important. Whether that's your employee resource group, which is really how I got into this. I joined the deaf group and then built the ERG at Microsoft uh, and shared that for the next 10 years. Um, But also your champ communities of parents and allies and people just curious and interested about this space, leveraging those talents is probably the biggest step difference that you can make in embedding it into culture, at least that's what we found. I think the second learning is really embedding it into your system and your framework and your business. If you aren't managing accessibility like a business, then you're not going to be making the right business level decisions. That does mean managing and measuring it. It means strong frameworks with the leaders so they understand where you're at. And so I have a quarterly forum with the CEO and senior leadership team. We're very uh, methodical in how we manage it across the business. In fact, I have a hub and spoke model. So my team of gorgeous experts uh, are in the middle, but really they're not the important ones, although don't tell them that. Um, It's every individual across the business and their teams that are driving Windows code or Xbox games or uh, inclusion into HR policies and processes. And so we work in a hub and spoke. And we also work with the employee community and the champions communities at Microsoft 
to really just concentric circle this thing out and pull that expertise in. So it's really a system, it's a framework, it's a business. And then the last I'd say is you've really got to figure out um, how to motivate. I'm a firm believer that the carrot is much stronger than the stick. And I do have a stick. Compliance is clearly important. But compliance is also behind the law. The use of technology is behind the law. And so it's always important to aim for higher than that. Um, and when I've got 145,000 nerds here at Microsoft to motivate, there's no bigger motivator than innovation. Uh, we're all a little magpie-ish. Uh, for the non-Brits in the room, that means we love bright, shiny objects. And so whether it's what we build ourselves, you know, seeing AI or adaptive controller, or in fact, one exciting piece today is that we're announcing availability um, of some new hardware through an amazing partner, Logitech, who have actually built some gorgeous box of switches and um, all manner of brilliant stuff that's going to empower folks using the adaptive controller to figure out how best to make that work for them. Um, so your partner ecosystem as well is how can you innovate and take the bar higher every single time. Um, and that's really the goal. We are not at a destination, we're on a journey. And I look forward to learning from each of you in the room. I will be watching uh, the social media threads and catching up afterwards. Uh, and please just get us your feedback. If you've got ideas, if you've got things that you wanna see, know that while I'm deaf, I am always uh, there with an open ear. Um, have a great time, folks. I'm so sorry I'm not there, but I know you're gonna have a blast. And uh, have that cup of tea for me, will you? Uh, and maybe some Marmite. Let's give Ginny a round of applause. Uh, Stuff in the mall mic, yeah. Stuff in the mall mic, Christopher says. Okay. So there's a lot there we can impact. Um, and I want to do that throughout this, this conversation. But for introductions, um, I'd like to ask how y'all got into accessibility. And I'd like to know a little bit about the day in the life of uh, accessibility leader in the field. And, and I also want to know about, I hope these are the questions that y'all want to know. Wow. Um, <laughs> I, also want, I also want to know about the first time, it could be big or small, that you left the office, you unplugged, maybe you put your hand down on the desk and you said, hey, we made something change today. Something happened within our organization and I know I was a part of that and my team was a part of that. Um, can you all give me some thoughts on those? Who wants to go first? It, I can repeat. <laughs> How'd you get well, into it? Yeah. Uh, so I came into accessibility through special education in Apple's education division and I I did not come in with a degree in special education or you know SLP, OT, any of that. I just came from a family of educators and ended up in you know by choice in Apple's education division. Um, and when I got there, they gave me special education as part of my role. And um, at first, I was terrified because I felt like, if nothing else, these kids deserved someone who knew more about this and had that background. And um, but I. I took it on as I would any you know, opportunity given to me at the company, and went to a bunch of schools and talked to teachers and administrators and worked with kids and really quickly realized that it was the most important work that I was ever gonna do. Mm. And so I you know, just dove into it 150% and, um, and after a while convinced Apple to let me do it more. Uh, it was a piece of my job and I convinced them to let me do it full time and mm. to really embrace it. Um, and then that led to going back to product marketing at Apple to be the product manager across everything that we make. And then from there into the role that I'm in right now, which is um, more holistically accessibility across everything that Apple does. Mm. Um, so I, I kind of lucked into it in a lot of ways. And I feel incredibly grateful that I did because it is, it is work that I truly passionately love. But it sounds like you actually made your job. I mean, you advocated and you made Yeah, and I think um, in a lot of ways, I mean, I, I feel blessed that Apple's the kind of company that you can do that, that they do see people's passion and, and let them run with it. Um, but yeah, I, I was lucky that I was able to, um, to find this and build on it and be effective in it and, you know, kind of even in some of what um, 
uh, Jenny was saying about motivating people. Mm-hmm. You know, that's such a huge part mm-hmm. of what we all do when we come from companies that are as big as they are and, mm-hmm. and being that voice for a community and then growing that and getting it to a point where you're not just, you know, one person in the education division talking about education or special education, you become, you know, you build an army and yeah, you build you advocates all over. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't quite remember what your second question was. Well, so, so what, about, what about pinpointing um, something that really the first time maybe or just that really stuck with you? You went home and you were like, wow, I'm on the right track. Yeah, um, I think within this realm, I had been doing uh, product marketing for Apple prior to joining the education division, so I kind of had a a bit of a background in it, but I remember um, very early on working in the education division, I happened to be talking with one of our engineers um, for the accessibility team, and I was talking to him about the work they were doing on text-to-speech and mentioned you should do word by word highlighting, and I remember him kind of looking at me going, I don't understand why. What does that mean? And I, I talked to him about the sort of multimodality and the power that that can have, mm-hmm. you know, for so many different types of students, uh, arranging everything from, you know, students with dyslexia to second language learners to, you know, all kinds of, whether it be about accessibility per se or not. And um, I remember him kind of looking at me and going, okay, and, and ending the conversation. Um, and then about, you know, six months later, launching text-to-speech and having word-by-word highlighting in there. And, and that moment of knowing a simple conversation, a single idea, um, could make it into a billion devices. And, and the, the power of when you really think through a lot of the accessibility features, how that isn't just a, you know, it may be originally a single feature for one student because you know it's going to benefit that one student, but when you put it into a billion devices, you can really make huge changes in the world. Yeah. It's pretty powerful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Paul, what about you? Um, yeah, sure. Um, so hi, everyone. So I'm, um, I'm Paul. I'm a digital accessibility head for Barclays. Um, I'm a disability se- sector champion for UK government, and I'm involved in um, a number of disability charities. So it's quite useful looking at accessibility through a lens of, of bis- um, business, of, of government, um, and of really that voice of, of disabled uh, customer. I think really how I got into this, um, you know, going back 10 years, very similar story to Jenny. Um, you know, I, I was a visually impaired uh, accountant, uh, nerd in a different type of way. And, you know, helping set up our disability staff networks, um, employee resource groups, whatever we want to call them, and finding that far more worthwhile and valuable than the day job. So setting that up. And then, you know, after time, having a number of issues, really, challenges in using our inaccessible internal systems, not being able to do my job. And a chance encounter with the head of IT at the time, and I was explaining this to him of, look, I'm thinking of quitting. And, and his challenge was, well, you know, if you want things to change, you've got to change. You know, if you want things to be better, you, you've got to be better. And, you know, you're the ideal person for the job. And I kind of thought about this. Did I want to be visually impaired, blind, poor, sort of the dis- disability guy doing the disability role? You know, would it be the, the kind of only role I could do? And the more I thought what it would take to do it well that kind of resourcefulness and resilience or the sort of positivity and, and pragmatism, I kind of realised that that lived experience, it wasn't the only role I could do, but the role only I could do as someone with a, a disability to do it justice. Um, you know, and since then, we've you know, um, made sure our digital bank works for millions of customers. We've ensured that thousands, um, tens of thousands of colleagues uh, with disabilities can get the help and support they need, sort of uh, workplace adjustments and really told our story of accessibility to thousands of businesses to sort of shift their view. So that ecosystem point, it's not just what we do in our organisation, but more broadly, is so powerful. And I think from an accessibility leader perspective, there's a real subtle shift in the last two, three years. You might have seen it or felt it, that when businesses talk about we've you know, released a product for, for disabled folks, it's now less about what they've done, but how they've done it. So if it's, you know, the Xbox adaptive controller, we've done this by partnering with all these people. It's not just for disabled people, but by and with, and it's so valuable, you know, the Project Euphonia, the Google stuff, ensuring that everyone's voice is heard. You know, again, incredible stuff. And again, Apple, the the sort of voice control, it's more about that consultative, about being by, with, and for disabled people. And again, you know, really important around um, consultation. 
Um, I think in terms of accessibility leader, let's be clear, right, you know, we might have this in the title, but many of you people in the room are championing accessibility in your organisations. You know, leaders, it's just about, you know, uh, someone's actions and how you inspire, you empower, um, and how you ultimately serve and help to elevate others. I think the thing for me, the sort of what moments have stuck out for me, it's more where I get new members of staff joining the bank that come up to me out of the blue and say, you know, I've joined Barclays because of your accessible services. Mm. So they're seen as a consumer for things we do, if it's talking ATMs or these cards or um, secure messaging that works if you've got a hearing and speech impairment, whatever it might be. And they recognise that we value them, they share those values, they join, and that disabled talent is like rocket fuel to move our accessibility agenda forwards. So I think that's sort of one point. But I think for me, a lot of what it means to be an accessibility leader, it's about giving people a voice, it's about prioritisation, and it's about partnerships. So, you know, giving people a voice is really about calling bullshit when people say things can't be done, it's always been this way, or holding organisations to account when they think they're brilliant, you know, keeping people honest and grounded. Um, Prioritisation is, is really about accessibility at the end of the day is ensuring that everyone can use everything, and that's really difficult, right? So we have to make some hard decisions over do we fix that issue that helps this group of folks with an impairment or another group? You know, do we audit for today or do we train for tomorrow? Do we focus on supporting our colleagues or our customers? Do we get our own processes right or do we figure out how we buy stuff from suppliers in an accessible way? And that's really tough. So it's ultimately it's about what do we do first? And then, you know, the point of partnerships consultation is so, so important. Um, and, and we'll quit the sort of story that hit home a few weeks back that I had was, um, you know, we got a complaint from, um, from a bank. So a um, retired GP lost most of his sight very recently and struggling, just overwhelmed, right, coming to terms with this. And the complaint came in about, you know, how can we make sure that his banking was, was easier? So went out, spent some time with him, getting up to speed with, you know, how, how does he cope with sight loss? How does he use some of his tech and whizzy assistive tech to, you know, check his emails, to to voice call his, uh, his children and, and to do his, his mobile banking. Um, you know, really useful kind of giving him the download, seeing some of the things that, you know, weren't intuitive or, or usable for, for a newbie. And when we were done, he, um, he kind of got up and hugged me. And he said, you know, are there other accessibility people out there? You know, I, I had no idea this was a thing. And, you know, he said, I, I want you to know, to tell them, that the work you do, you know, it's urgent, it's important, it really matters and I think sometimes we can get so lost by sort of checkpoints that have failed and not mm-hmm. customers that we're failing. So, you know, I came here today really just to sort of tell you if you work in this accessibility field that the work you do is urgent, it's important, that it really matters. Yeah, yeah that's, there's so much there. Um, I mean, we, you do hear the negative stuff a lot, right? That comes through the office a lot. But those things that stick out that are positive really keeps you in it. Um, and I think that's something to, to definitely listen to. So thank you for that. Um, Christopher. Um, I got into accessibility. I'm, I'm, I'm the newbie on stage. I've only been involved for about five years. And I got into it by screwing up. Um, he, he, <laughs> you only learn by mistakes, or as I do. Um, I, I got buttonholed. So I was the lead TPM on Google Play Music at the time before Google really had sort of made a commitment towards accessibility. And one of our test engineers came into our, our meeting, and she turned on voiceover. Yes, voiceover. And I heard, button, 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 button. I said, what's that? I said, this is playing music for someone who's blind. I said, well, that's stupid. How do they use it? And she said, that's why I'm here. And that really, really affected me. Now, I've been in the industry for almost 20 years by this time, 10 years at Apple, not in the, the lower levels in the operating system. Um, years at Sony, a year at Disney making games, even some years at Google, and I'd never heard of accessibility didn't even understand what it meant. And sort of this movie-ish 24 hours, I realized that everything that I had done was made without thought. And I realized I wanted to do something about it. So within, within a, a month, um, I took on a Google 20%, and I decided to lead accessibility for Google Play. And I hired her to teach me what I needed to know. Yes. So for, for me, the, the, the other part, part is, since I'm not of the community, I need to be more than humble, I need to be desperately seeking out information, making sure I understand what's, what I don't understand, because I'm 
only, I'm always going to have my own context. I'm always going to have the wrong, dis- wrong ideas of how to solve problems because I don't know the problems we're trying to solve. Yeah. So I, I hired her, and she taught me what I needed to know. And a couple years later, Eve Anderson, who's the director of accessibility, asked me to, to, to build a team on her team to help drive accessibility across all of Google. And I jumped at the chance. Mm. And to, to answer your question, the thing where I was most, the first time when I realized that we did something right in terms of accessibility is when that test engineer came up to me longer than it should have been, but a couple months later and said, hey, listen to this. And it was the actual labels. It was actually the buttons saying what they were supposed to do. Yeah. And for me, for me, a music product, if you can't consume your music, it's, it's worth nothing. Yeah. But that, that meant a lot to me. Yeah, that's great. That's great. You know, just reflecting on what you said also is, is hiring people that you know, have um, different skills than you do and being humble about that and being okay to ask for that I think is pretty powerful too, like that. So top-down, bottom-up approach regarding accessibility throughout the organization. Do you have just some thoughts on that um, that you could share? Um, what, what, what is their best approach? <laughs> you know, um, and, and just from your experience, what you've seen has worked um, either way. I mean, I think for me, it's a bit of both. So to join us up with where we started today with, um, with Caroline, you know, this, this tectonic shift over the last year, the disability inclusion revolution of business leaders waking up and signing up to accessibility being a thing of elevating the disability agenda has been so powerful because I think this point about businesses accelerating far quicker than government and society ever could is, is, is really so true. I think... Having senior business leaders who understand buy-in, support sponsor, resource up, some of it, the disability efforts is really key. But let's be clear too, we need passionate people you know, who are empowered to actually change things, to improve things, to have the ideas of where the problems are, you know, <coughs> work through and work with the disability community and others to figure out how can we improve. So for me, it's really a bit of both is, is kind of the secret sauce. Mm, thank you. So. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the answer to top down or bottom up or even um, carrot or stick or any of those mm-hmm. is always yes. <laughs> you know, there, it's, it's all of the above. Um, I, I don't think that, you know, it, well, it helps to have somebody in a higher level position who says this matters and mm-hmm. who gets in front of an organization and says, you know, you need to take this seriously. But that doesn't really motivate people to actually do anything more than the base because quite often they're also being told these 27 other things matter too mm-hmm. and and the way that you get the mind share to get people to do something is to connect to them personally and get them to to want to do this work mm-hmm. and so i think it you have to look at multiple ways of reaching out to individuals and organizations and getting getting a, a leader to on your side is wonderful. But, you know, I've found some of the more grassroots things that we've done around things like Global Accessibility Awareness Day mm-hmm. to be, you know, just as impactful or even in some cases far more impactful mm-hmm. when you can actually, you know, when you can get an engineer who starts off saying, oh, I don't need to know about this. I work on silicon. You know, I, I just make a chip somewhere. And then you pull them into showing them what we can do on our technology. And that person walks away understanding, I need to go keep innovating and making better chips. Because what we're doing with those chips, the types of assistive technologies that run on those chips is fantastic. And I want it to be more powerful. Mm. So I know what my piece is now as part of the accessibility army. You know, people ask me all the time, how many people are on your accessibility team? And my response is, I think we're at 150,000 employees. So my accessibility team is 150,000 people. You know, I want every single one of them to understand that regardless of what they do at Apple, there's an accessibility component to their jobs. And I want them to be proud of that. Mm. That's nice. Uh, yes. Um. I'm sorry, jet lag has just hit in. <laughs> what was the question? Top down. Top down. Top down. Top down. Thank you. 
<laughs> but your motivation seems to be running a, a nice theme. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so feel free to like. I, I, I really re resonate with, with, with Sarah's yes. You really need to, to have both. And I'm, I'm sorry for, for, for losing track. I was so engaged I forgot the question. <laughs> um, it's very engaging. I, yes. Oh, I, I love Sarah. Um, it, it, it really is a top-down and bottom-up. But the bottom-up, I think, is sort of how it often starts. And I think one of the most important things is as you're engaging with these different teams, you need to learn to speak their language. You need to understand sort of what is the, 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 the acronyms and who are the influencers inside there because there's a difference between the org chart of, of decision makers and the people actually who do the influencing. And if you engage with a team, you start with your allies. You start with the people who understand the technology and they can help you get some wins and you build some momentum. And then you start getting the next level of support and then eventually you need to get sort of the top level support or else the prioritization conversation gets difficult. But I find starting at the bottom, at least at Google, is far easier than starting at the top. Yeah. Because without, without the wins, without the momentum, it's difficult to get the attention. Yeah. Well, very interesting. So a question just came in, and it's a tough question. Um, and I want to ask it <laughs> because I think it's important um, and I want to rephrase it possibly. Um, um, let me see. So what was the, 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 the biggest mistake and what did you learn, to, learn about fixing it? How did you fix it maybe? Can you share something that you, that you, that you would have done differently um, and be as specific or not, you know, kind of... <laughs> It's like a total interview question. <laughs> I, I can go. Uh, okay. I remember the question. This is great. Right. Okay, good. We'll go um, from now on. Right? Thank you. Oh, I don't need that. Um, coming on too hard. When, when, uh, when you're passionate about something and this is all that you think about, it's very difficult to realize that the other person doesn't have your context. So more than once, more than twice, I've come into a conversation with a bunch of acronyms, with a bunch of passion, and they, didn't, they weren't at the same level where I was. So I, I, I had to learn to sort of build up the conversation so they could be at that fever pitch where I, I live. Mm -hmm. And, and, and they, can, they can learn to understand why it's, why it's a passion and why it's important. Mm -hmm. so, so coming at it too hard with, 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 with my own context without understanding where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. And it, 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 hurts, it hurts the mission if you do that. So, so what did you do to change that? Slow down. Slow down. Slow down and, and then and build up the conversation to, 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 to this, this, in this case it was a senior VP, I had sort of a pre-work with, with, with his, his support team, understand how it would be best to tell the story. I, I um, sent some pre-work, some pre-videos, asking if we could take a look at it. So try to open the heart a little bit. Yeah. And, then, and that, that second time, it actually worked, went much better. That's great. Well, thank you. Yeah, I think um, I, I get a lot of what you're saying with that, because I think there's an element around um, understanding whether to come in with the carrot or the stick or with the what, what's the motivation of this other person um, in order to, to get that kind of buy-in and get them moving forward because um, often you only get one shot with a, a lot of the upper management and, and understanding what, what are the things that drive them can be uh, really the key to actually having that kind of success. So, Yeah, and no, I, I think for me it's really around... Um, around focus really it goes back to that point that accessibility is about trying to fix everything for everyone and sometimes you can spread yourself too thin trying to do all of that and then really thinking well how do we benchmark what what are the sorts of things that we would need to do to be a disability confident organization employer for our tech to be accessible for everyone and taking a bit more of a sort of structured approach to if we can only do a few of these things let's just pick two or three and do them well and then let's move on to the others so I know, um, you know, we were uh, partnered very closely with Business Disability Forum. They have an incredible benchmarking tool, completely free and open source, called the Accessibility Maturity Model, that we and, and 50 or so of the um, biggest public and private sector organisations use, and we've just refreshed. And again, it really gives these kind of 10 things that you need to work on and work through to be good at accessibility. So I think in the early days, it was trying to do everything, and I think now it provides a bit more of a structured, systematic approach to say, okay, well, let's use this to work through what are the, what, what are the, the key things we do now, and then what's next. Mm, that's interesting. So this kind of ties right onto that. This is something about um, um, customer feedback, which I think was an interesting question that popped in. So obviously, you know, does customer feedback help you drive change internally? And I, I would say yes for that. But how does it within your organizations? What's the process, the feedback that comes into the accessibility email that says, hey, you know, this is happening? 
how, how do you make that change and how do you shift it? And all the hurdles within that. It usually is, usually all. So, Chris, do you want to jump in? You sure? First. Okay. I'll, I'll the, question. Um, the, the, the customer service is a relatively new function with, for, for, for uh, disability within Google. It, it's launched this year. So what we've done is we've created I several... Get that. Yep. Sorry. Yeah, well, could you repeat? <laughs> I remembered it this time. I know, exactly. <laughs> so you've got my back. Thank you. It's that jet lag. Still. Yeah. <laughs> Harry, no. Um, the, the disability support is a reasonably new service. And, and we, we created this literally by interviewing like, like Sarah, our friends at, at Microsoft. And, and with this collaboration, we created this, this disability support team. And, it's, and now through this, we actually have regular reports or we're in the process of building the reports that allow us to understand what are the most important things that are, that are coming in. Um, we, we have our own email lists where we hear about things that are being broken. But we, the, the, the interesting challenge is making sure that the information we have coming is, is actionable. Mm-hmm. So you may hear a, 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 someone complaining about it, and how do, you, how do you talk with this person and make sure, is it a mistake? Is it, what, is it our technology, or is it the, with it the use technology? And once we're, we're, conter- once we're sure it's from the inside our technology, then we bring it up with, with the teams. And usually it's a bug, but sometimes it's, it's a feature that's working the way people don't expect, and then we bring that in, in, into the design team and make sure they understand how people are using the, the, the service or the application that we hadn't thought of. Mm-hmm. So we, we bring this, the voice of the user in as much as we possibly can. Okay. That's great. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, I can't say enough about the power of customer feedback. I yeah. think it's huge. Um, and that's both from the, the positives and the negatives. You know, when you get in an email that says, I've hit a roadblock, you know, and, and this is what that means to me, you know, that, that this is your, your technology, all of our technologies can be life-changing, and if someone reaches a point where they can't do something, and you can take that to somebody in any department and say, your app, your, your thing that you're working on is fantastic, but it doesn't do X, and let me explain to you what that means to even just one human being out in the world can be so powerful to have a team make a change. Um, so I would encourage anybody who doesn't have a customer-facing way of communicating with your base to do so. And it, it you know, you have to make a commitment to that. There, for us, and I know the same with Google, we had talked with you guys when you did it, and, and Barclays as well, there's a teams that have to support it. It's not even just a one person who now has that email address. You have to commit to actually taking in that feedback, communicating with your customers, and then using that feedback. But once you do, it's so important to be able to pass it on. And then often, you know, what I love is once the change gets made, I get to send the email back to that same person six mm-hmm. months later from that customer saying, thank you. Yeah. And that matters. Yeah. And, and then you can create an accessibility advocate within your own company just through those two things for life. Mm-hmm. So I think it's hugely important to have that communication with your customers and make sure you're taking in everything good, bad, and ugly and figure it out. Yeah. And the, nice, the nice thing is it provides you the stories. Earlier today we heard about stories, how important stories are for, for bringing these things to life. Mm-hmm. So the, the, these email, these calls really make a difference in terms of making that connection, as, as, as you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's that sort of you said, we did approach. Um, I think for me, so speaking from Barclays first, having a multitude of ways that people can um, give you that feedback, so whether it's via sort of email, social media and so forth, and if they bother to take the time to say they've got a problem, then making sure that we engage and follow up and tell them what we've done about it, right, is really, really important. Um, so that, you know, a bad experience can often be, actually, we, we, we've done a thing, we think it's improved, does it work for you? Okay, great, I mean, you know, you've got an ally. Um, I think there's sitting back and, and waiting for people to give you feedback as well as actually proactively going out to them and surveying folks and spending time with, with people with different access needs. Um, and I think this point in customer feedback too, if I may, thinking about from, from a government side of things and public sector, I think there's a lot of time about, you know, carrots and sticks and regulations coming that mean public sector councils or, or colleges need to make sure that their, their sort of website's accessible now. You know, there's a lot more clarity over what's expected so that's kind of on the supply side you know supply accessible websites i think we still have a problem in in the uk of making it really easy for disabled people as they encounter barriers online to actually let those organizations know so you know i'm really keen seeing this as an opportunity that 
this new public sector um, regulations makes that clear of if vision impaired Paul can't get my, my bins collected and I go to the council website and it's rubbish, then there is a kind of clear contact us first. If you're not being listened to, do you know, form or complain, contact the CEO of that, that organisation. And if you're still not being listened to, go to this government body. So there is that kind of escalation route. And I don't really think we've, we've sort of had that today. I look at the US and the, you know, what's really changing. The laws are broadly the same in the UK and US. Well, you know, it's quite grey on, on what exactly is expected, but it's the pester power of the public of saying this isn't good enough and that's suing and complaining. Maybe, maybe as British people, we just need to get better at complaining to say, actually, this isn't good enough. And organisations, you know, anyone in an organisation, just put yourself in the shoes. It, it's quite bizarre as, as accessibility people to think through, well, actually, if someone had a problem, let's actually track through how would they complain? Because for many organisations, there's, there's probably no roots. I mean, if that didn't work out, where would they then go to? that escalation route so i know there's a lot of work we've been doing and showing this with scope ability net and the major disability charities to put that advice out there and to really encourage um you know disabled consumers to say what's working and what isn't but i think we've got a long way to go in the uk yeah thank you it's not just the uk yeah okay (laughs) so here's a question that came in it's interesting um so um if this panel um, was um, it was your one shot to on convincing someone of the importance of accessibility? What would you say? So, what would you say is one shot? <laughs> um, I think for me, it's that accessibility you know has a multitude of benefits. That law requires more, consumers expect more, more businesses waking up to the multitude of benefits. You know, better customer experience, more more happier customers, more productive colleagues, bolstering your brand and, and sort of mitigating risks. So it's very much kind of why wouldn't you do this or you're going to be left out and left behind. Okay. Yeah, I think I would look at it from the perspective of, you know, stop approaching accessibility as a compliance issue and start approaching it as a, uh, a creative challenge and a usability challenge mm. and, uh, it, you know, making a better product because I think accessibility when you when you really get into it it's less about oh we're just going to solve one problem for one person and more about you make a better product for everyone mm-hmm. and when you when you just think about the problem from a different perspective you're going to improve your products overall mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for me king off on the statement i made earlier trying to understand who who I'm talking to, because there's a couple of different ways you can go about it. You can go about it in terms of the inspiration. This is it's this right thing to do for the world. There's a billion people. There's the, the, the fear stick. There's the, the lawsuits. Or there's the competition side. Well, our competitors are doing this, and, and we, we can do better. So it really, I, I know I'm copying out a little bit, but I really yeah, think yeah. It, it really depends on who you're talking to yeah. and what motivates them. Because if you, from personal experience, if you do it wrong, it, it makes it harder so I I'd, I'd tried to do some homework first to understand how do they get motivated and then find the right combination of the three. Yeah, that's great. So we've heard today um, hire more people with disabilities. So as an accessibility leader in some pretty impressive companies, um, what are you all doing to, to focus on that? Um, I mean, part of it is we make the products that get used by our own employees. Yeah. So I think there is a, a, a virtuous cycle that goes on in terms of hiring people with disabilities in the realm of nothing about us without us uh. creates the assistive technologies that, gets, that get built into our products. But by doing that, you then open things up so that someone can be hired into any job, any division um, to to do that using our assistive technology and then they provide feedback on the assistive technologies we're building and we make them to be better. So I think for us a lot of it is really just trying to make sure that um, we're we're building great foundational assistive Mm -hmm. technology to help anybody who wants to work at Apple be able to do so and then using that to keep you know, growing and growing and growing the number of people we can hire mm-hmm. because we're building great assistive technologies. So thank you. Paul? Paul? Yeah, I, I think it starts with how you can change your workplace environment, the culture around um, disability inclusion and mental health so that many of your existing colleagues 
who have disability mental health conditions, again, feel comfortable to bring their whole selves to work and tell their stories and get involved um, as, as one thing. I think the bit about letting your products and accessible services speak to themselves and hiring more talent, you know, clearly there's some technical things to look at your hiring processes and portals about how accessible are they, how flexible and, and what's plan B if you struggle with the site, how do you put profiles of people out there to make it very clear that you know you're uh, welcoming and even this sort of point about you know what workplace adjustments reasonable adjustments you need in the workplace versus in the application and interview setting so that again it is a fair and level playing field you know what is appropriate for disabled people to kind of ask for um, so that they can kind of shine to show their disability as a strength and the skills that they bring so again lots of work to stretch our thinking over over how we change not just you know a standard single approach over how we hire and screen people but again making it a bit more flexible and a bit more welcoming i remember the question this time okay good thank you um (laughs) google is reasonably new in 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 the space and a few years ago we we created a group that we called ajax the accessible googler experience and the, the goal of this team is to is to make google the best most inclusive place to work with disabilities and through this team, we've actually been able to, to instill a bunch of change. We have dedicated people focused on hiring, dedicated people focused in terms of internal uh, our, our real estate section and, and people operations. And building up the infrastructure takes a long time. And focusing on that, because the, the more diverse the workplace you have, the easier it is to make an inclusive product. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're, we're working really hard to make sure that we have the infrastructure necessary so people with disabilities can, can be successful. Because the worst thing is, is you bring in someone and the, and the tool chain isn't appropriate mm. and people don't want to work there, then they leave. Mm. So this is something we're, we're actively um, working hard to, to make better as quickly as we can. That's great. Excellent. I, I think just following on from that, a final point for me is, is really certainly the you know, younger generation of folks with disabilities, it's, there's kind of higher expectations. Mm. I think as people get more comfortable with the accessibility goodness packed into their devices, you know, they, they kind of expect it. You know, so if you can do dark mode on this flavour of smartphone and that, and that version, you know, why can't you have it on, a, on an ATM? Why can't you have it on a self-service till? And likewise for disabled students coming from a school place and workplace, you know, they have higher expectations over the kit they get and what they expect from it, which is kind of great you know, to kind of um, you know, increase what, what we can offer. Interesting, yeah. So here's a question. Um, what is the biggest challenge to full digital inclusion in your organisation? These are the easy questions. I know. Really that, questions. This, is get, this yeah. gets the most likes, almost, <laughs> other than the yeah. recruitment one. <laughs> I'm going with the audience. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I think I'm aware, speaking to lots of, of businesses and organizations, there's folks that are new to this, and they're kind of freaked out because it's trying to do everything, and, and it's where to start. And sometimes they're so paralyzed by fear that they just don't start anywhere. So there's you know, actually the kind of 80-20 rule of actually beginning and taking baby steps and focusing on a few things. I think for more sophisticated organisations that are more mature in their accessibility journey, I think some of the challenges are very much around not just how to do a sort of shiny new product over here, but everything that you change or build or buy. How do we make sure that we're considering accessibility, we're leaning into inclusive design to ensure it's a great experience for you know, a greater number of people? So you know, that's a far more challenging thing to do for our internal processes, for our procurement practices. I think one of the biggest challenges we still haven't quite cracked is, is again, one about sort of metrics and how do we show value? How do we show that by doing all this effort, again, it, it you know, helped help these folks in kind of putting some numbers around that? So, uh, you know, people talk about the, the ROI and it shouldn't be led by the, the sort of return on investment, but it's certainly useful as folks do more and more in this space to sort of say, actually, by investing in being accessible, um, you know, it helped the, these people in, in this much way to so that sort of snowball effect. So I think those are some of the challenges. And, and let's not face it, just the sheer amount of pace of change as upgrades and updates happen, then, you know, maybe things might break. And how do we kind of make sure that we speedily correct things so the accessible features we have, have you know, that we uh, maintain them? I think one of the, the biggest challenges that we face, or I think a lot of other companies do as well, is awareness amongst all of the, um, the, the base of employees. And I mean that in, 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 as engineers are coming out of university, 
are they getting an understanding of what accessibility is enough to start their job and and make it a part of what they do? Uh, and I think you know at Apple, one of the things we try and do from day one as you go through your new employee uh, orientation is to talk about what our six core corporate values are, of which accessibility is one, and kind of get people indoctrinated over and over again in what that means. But um, you know, to give a plug to an organization or a program that um, Larry Goldberg, sitting in, in the second row there, started in the States, um, uh, called Teach Access, which really looks at how do we get more um, computer science programs and, and engineering programs to incorporate accessibility as part of what they teach. Mm-hmm. So that it is, it's a, a baseline of, you know, if you're going to get a computer science degree, you shouldn't be able to graduate if you haven't been taught uh, some of what, how to make whatever you're doing accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that just that, that general awareness of, of constantly trying to make sure that everybody who comes in to work on all the many things that we do um, know that that's a piece of what they should be working on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and sort of um, dovetailing on that, the awareness at multiple levels of the organization because the, what I, the thing that for me is the hardest is sort of keeping the energy up and not burning out because you're often having the same conversation. Every time a new person comes in at a high level of the organization, oh, here we go again. Yeah. You have to have the same conversation. You have to remind them why it's important. You have to scare them into realizing it's important, whatever, whatever works for them. But keeping the energy up and keeping the optimism because it can feel sort of like a, a wheel that you're constantly running on but it's a really good wheel, and, and we're doing something that's really important. So it's, it's, it's hard, it's important to pace yourself in a way so you don't burn out, but you have enough energy there that you can push when you need to. Yeah, yeah excellent. Yes, good, good. So Teach Access, Larry, you want to raise your hand? Second row, so if you've got questions about Teach Access, definitely go to Larry, the second row, third row, actually. Um, so this has been really good. There's... there's um, some, some really synergy going on, and I, and I see themes, and motivation was one of those themes I've seen. Uh, the, the comment that you just made, Christopher, about the fact that don't give up, keep going. The executive you know, uh, leaders may change, and they will change, and you have to do it again and go over all over again is something to, to, to keep in mind. So in, inspiring leaders within your organization, um, these are the new people that are going to be focusing on accessibility. Can you give us some thoughts around that, some key things that, that you do or you look for um, to pinpoint those new leaders, and um, it's not really more of a question. It's, it's not really a question. It's more of just some thoughts around it. You know, the, you know the people I'm talking about, right? Inspiring future accessibility leaders. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's an interesting one. I, I think we've often, you know, with my team, we often sort of talk about people as to whether they sort of already ha- inherently have that accessibility gene that empathy gene that I think kind of you nurture into getting somebody to be a leader. But I think it, it, it really gets back to kind of figuring out, you know, as Christopher's saying, what's the inherent motivation of someone? How do you find that person that clearly just has that element about them that you can tell they want to do more, they want to do good in, in how they look at it? And it may be that they have a personal connection to all of this or um, that it's just something that, that grabs them, but trying to figure out how to, um, to, to work with them and nurture that and get them to, to figure out how they then motivate people within their own organization and, and getting their management to see the value of what they're bringing to their organization. And you kind of have to come at it from a couple of different angles, but yeah. I think there's ways to do it. Excellent. Yeah, well, oh, Paul, please. Um, I, I think the thing for me on... on, on on business leaders and on accessibility leaders too, it's this sort of point of going beyond legal and compliance. And we've often talked about building this culture of inclusion. Um, so getting away from accessibility <coughs> being something legally you have to do and to something that commercially and morally we want to do. And recognising what if culture is about, you know, it dictates how a bunch of people in an organisation think, feel and act, then we need this three-pronged approach to how do we sort of educate heads for rational argument, how do we inspire hearts for personal storytelling, and how do we enable hands for kind of practical tools for the job? Um, You know, leaders love, um, you know, badges and recognition, and aren't we sort of good over here? But if they understand the the kind of compliance point and this whole carrots and sticks, if anything, it's not accessibility being sort of bureaucratic compliance, that you have to do this checklist because you have to, because the law says. It's kind of getting beyond that to this, in my mind, sweet spot of kind of enthusiastic compliance. Everyone understands 
why accessibility matters, why we need to kind of meet a minimum level, but that this is a starting point. And that actually it's going way above and beyond that around inclusive design to, you know, make sure that everyone can use all our stuff. Yeah, you know, cool. We're not quite as, as far that in, in our journey, but what we, 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 we have that CHAMPS program. We've had one for, for many years, but something we did over the past two years is we sort of gamified it. We've turned it from accessibility CHAMPS to accessibility dojo, so using like a martial arts, and we have a belt system. And what we found is we actually get a lot more engagement by having this belt system because there's a clear path of what you have to do to be an accessibility black belt. And people just want to say, I'm an accessibility black belt. And, and if you're a black belt, you're a leader. You, you've, you've, you've earned it. You've, you've earned your stripes. So providing an opportunity to, to sort of self-nominate and rise themselves in terms of education, in terms of presentation, in, in terms of skills, this has been really, really helpful for us. And our, our program... Is, is, is growing remarkably fast. I'm really impressed with what the team has done. That's great. That's great. So one last question, because I know we're out of time. Um, there's a question that came in about, what did you want to be when you were younger? I, I, I wanted to be a historian. Historian? Yeah. Oh, and then, then I wanted to be a singer. A singer? Yeah. I want to be a singer, too. Yeah, it's rock singer. Oh, totally. no, I was you were a singer. Were you a singer? Well, you know, I was, but that was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> now I just do, I just do lullabies and, and karaoke. Lots of lullabies, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, I don't know. I, there was a point I wanted to be a vet. I think I had a lot of those, those early childhood. Oh, I wanted stuff. to deal with kittens and puppies and all of that. But I, I, I think I, one thing I think I always wanted to do something that I thought mattered and, and actually would have impact in the world. Yeah, yeah. So. Excellent. Yeah. Gosh, I think for me, I'd probably want to be a racing car driver and probably quite similar to Caroline. You know, <laughs> the vision impairment <laughs> thing didn't quite work out. Um, <laughs> yeah. Driven cars. Um, I think there's one place in the UK you can drive crazy, fast sports cars. It's like, I don't know, I think I got up to about 150 miles an hour with someone screaming left, right a bit in my ear, which was an experience. Um, but I think the key message from all of this, right, is people don't grow up saying, I want to be the accessibility thing. I think folks have kind of drifted into and kind of found their cause and, and their calling. Excellent. This has been enlightening. Let's thank our panel. Thank you so much. It was great. <laughs>